Well, hi everybody. My name is Chris. This is Cheetash, and today we welcome back a returning guest, actually. Actually, you're the first returning guest <laughs> that I've had, Russell Duray. <laughs> How are you doing? Good, thanks. It's, a, it's nice to be back. It's been a, it's been a while. When the, You were the first episode we, uh, we did back in, that must have been the summer last year. Uh, well, so, I, I came out with this uh, new book um, mm -hmm. last spring, so, okay. uh, and uh, I didn't have that one out yet, I don't think, so it was oh, okay. a couple years. Yeah, wow, yeah. wow. I remember, too, after that first episode, you gave me a signed copy mm -hmm. of this, and I, I really appreciate mm -hmm. that. Um, and for the audience, mm -hmm. the book that you have here, they put America in the air, behind the scenes, building the commercial aircraft industry with the Wright brothers, Bill Boeing, and Donald Douglas. And it, is this kind of in the, a similar flavor to Motor City Drama, you were saying, where it's a fictional history where you have conversations with some of these uh, aviation pioneers and kind of reenacting certain scenes from history? Right, right. That's uh, that's what differentiates my, my books, I think, from any others that I'm aware of, uh, at least on these topics, is that... Uh, uh, we know that certain things happened. Uh, for instance, the Wright brothers had their first flight, and we know that that happened. And so what I do is I actually have uh, Wilbur and Orville talking to each other uh, at the start of that first flight and mm -hmm. bring these people to life. Did you always know that you were going to do, like, this book? or Like, how did this book come about? Well, I, I did the first one. I give a lot of presentations on automotive pioneers. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of research done, and, and so that was easy. Somebody had suggested to me that, uh, you know, I didn't want to do another history book because there's so many that I do a, a fictional history. Mm -hmm. And so I did. And it was fun, and uh, I liked it. Uh, and then I got thinking, um, eh, I might want to do another one. And then I had a presentation on the aircraft pioneers, um, uh, Wright Brothers, Bill Boeing, and Donald Douglas, uh, a PowerPoint presentation that I'd given a lot. And so, I, again, I had my research done there. Plus, I had worked for the Boeing company back in the uh, 60s uh, for a while. So I had some firsthand experience in the industry. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, uh, let's do that one. Yeah, I, I did see that in your introduction uh, to the book that you used to work for Boeing. Mm -hmm. how, really quick, like, how did that come about? Was that like a like a first job out of college type of thing? Or like how how exactly did you get started with Boeing? Uh, I was actually uh, working out on the uh, West Coast uh, in human resources. And I went to a meeting of an association that I belonged to and they had a job fair. And they were, they were looking for somebody to uh, head up the uh, personnel testing part of the human resource department in the commercial airplane division. And I had an interview, and so I moved. Uh, I moved up to uh, up to Seattle and uh, uh, took that position, and, mm -hmm. and uh, I got involved in some other things up there too, research, personnel research, and things. So, but it was, uh, yeah, it was fun. Was Boeing at that time? Was it the size that it is today, or a little bit smaller company back then? Uh, it was pretty good size then. Yeah. We were making the. Um, 707, the 727, 
Uh, they had just started the 737, and they were designing the 747, and mm -hmm. they were designing the SST, which never got built. So it was really the boom time. We hired over 40,000 people in one year. Wow. Again, we had several locations, also a location in Wichita, Kansas, and others. But, mm -hmm. yeah, it was, uh, it was boom time. So. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize this just until recently. Mm. Boeing is... And correct me if I'm wrong. Mm. They're not just involved in like commercial airlines, but mm. they do uh, space. Like oh yeah, aero yeah. They have the. They were the prime contractor, I think, on this on this space station. Wow. Yeah, they do uh, a lot of aerospace stuff. And same thing with like military related right, things. Right. Right. Cargo well. planes and and uh, I I can't remember right offhand about mm -hmm. fighter fighter jets. Uh, I know there there was one contract that we were competing for when I was there. It was supposed to be um, an all-purpose jet that would work for the Navy, the Air Force, and uh, and the Army, I think, somehow. And uh, uh, we, we didn't get it. Uh, TRW in Texas got it. It just happened that Lyndon Johnson was president then. Uh, no, no political <laughs> influence, of course, at all. And the thing never did work out for any of the services, <laughs> as I understand. So it's probably just as well. I never, I've never heard of TRW. Mm -hmm. Is that still in existence? Oh, they made, uh, yeah, they made computers and electronic stuff to start out with, and then they okay. got into uh, aviation for a while. Yeah, I don't know if they're still in aviation or not. I, yeah. There's so many, like going through your book, there's so mm -hmm. many details of this industry that I just like had no idea yeah. about. Yeah, it's, it is a fascinating industry. Like in, as far as Boeing mm -hmm. goes, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you the last time we met, but I didn't realize Bill Boeing was, he lived in Detroit. Yeah, he was born in Detroit. Born in Detroit, uh, wow. Yeah. To, um, yeah. His parents were um, immigrants from Europe? Yeah. And they came um, over? In fact, uh, if you want, uh, I, I can read you a little bit from that chapter. Yeah. Uh, my first chapter is really on the Wright brothers, but we can we can go back and pick them up if, if you, yeah. whichever way you want to go. No, yeah, that. As long as we're talking about Boeing, uh, <clears throat> let me just read you an excerpt from this. Uh, chapter two: Bill Boeing enters the scene. Um, William Edward Boeing was born in Detroit to wealthy parents. His father from Switzerland and his mother from Austria. He dropped out of Yale one year before graduating and moved to Washington State where he bought timberland and set up a lumber company. He also bought a small shipbuilding company in Seattle. He saw a manned flying machine and became fascinated with aircraft. He took lessons at the Glen Martin Flying School in Los Angeles and in 1916 purchased one of Martin's planes. It arrived in crates by a railroad from California and was assembled in Seattle. Unfortunately, another pilot crashed the plane and it needed repairs. Before repairing it, Bill Boeing talked with his boat building partner, Naval Commander George Westervelt in their shop on Lake Washington. George, the Martin Company says that the parts we need to repair the airplane would not be available for several months. This is really frustrating. It sure is. But what do we, choice do we have? I've been thinking, I think we could build our own plane and build a better one, and we would have it a lot faster. Bill, do you really think we could do that? We've never built anything like it. It's not that complicated. We build boats from wood, just add some cloth and metal, and you have an airplane. Why not? Well, when you put it that way, I guess we could. 
and they did. Their Boeing Model 1 B&W seaplane had outstanding performance, and they went into business. They got an order for 50 planes from the U.S. Navy and were on their way. So that's how they got started. Very fascinating. Yeah. Um, around this time that this is going mm-hmm. on, so this is like World War One. World War right before World War One, yeah. Wow. So, do you think was that kind of driving a lot of the innovation in this area? That hey, there was this demand for the, this um, these military things, and governments looking for people to produce it for the war effort. Yeah, that's yeah. that's actually where where some of the uh, the contracts. Uh, 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 came from uh, mm-hmm. was was military, mm-hmm. and uh, um, same same way with the Wright brothers, uh, they they got some uh, contracts for some early uh, uh, from the army, wow. and uh, for reconnaissance, kind of a reconnaissance plane, mm-hmm. so that so um, yeah, that's where a lot of it came from, and then uh, and then it evolved into uh, as people started after the First World War started to look for commercial uses. And there were a lot of planes built for the First World War, and they didn't. Once the war was over, they didn't need them. Mm-hmm. Uh, people started buying them and starting their own little um, uh, airlines, but they carried mail. That's the only way they could make money. They would get contracts to carry mail to speed up the mail delivery, mm-hmm. and then uh, only uh, until much later did they start adding passengers, and that was Bill Boeing. <laughs> he was the first. So. Yeah, he was one of the very first. Yeah. I think the first. Uh, he. He decided that there was a future in that beyond mail, and so he took part of the mail compartment and put in room for four passengers and a side door, and wow. uh, started flying passengers. And uh, wow! Uh, and then it, but it took it took many years before it evolved to the point where they could make money out of off of passengers. Oh, uh, I see. And, okay, and I've got that story in there too. <laughs> so, this kind of reminds me. Uh, a little bit unrelated. Have you ever seen the movie The Aviator? Yes, a long time ago, yeah. Yeah, the Leonardo DiCaprio mm-hmm. movie about Howard Hughes. Yeah. And I, I remember there is a portion of the movie where he is talking to, they're doing some sort of negotiation deal with uh, Alec Baldwin's character. I forget. Mm-hmm. Um, Might have been Pan Am, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. Okay. And they're trying to negotiate a deal yeah. uh, for something to do with airlines mm-hmm. this and slight tangent mm-hmm. but i sometimes get this confused that like say for example boeing boeing is manufacturing the aircraft mm-hmm. but then you have companies like united right uh, american delta mm-hmm. they are airlines Lines, right so they they're the ones that buy right the aircraft to then use them to shuttle people right, right. across the world. Yeah. Yeah, they're two separate. One 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 builds them and, and one operates them. Yeah. So I got to imagine that this business, much like maybe automobiles, like mm-hmm. we talked about last time with, you know, Ford, GM, Chrysler, you, except in a different way, the, I bet, I got to believe that the margins for aircraft are like razor thin or like airlines are razor thin. Like you only make a certain amount of these aircraft. Mm-hmm. 
and there's only a certain amount of companies that are buying them. Right. Delta, United, American, yeah. Spirit, JetBlue, what have you. So they're not making a whole lot of these. Well, but they year. do, they, they, they make them to order. So they get the order first uh-huh. and the pricing is all worked out, you know, so they know, they know they're going to do all right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but again, sometimes with the competition, uh, to negotiate an order, the bigger the order, the, the smaller uh, profit margin the airline wants the aircraft company to make. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's, it's very competitive. And, uh, the air- and later on, I kind of want to, mm-hmm. I want to ask you about that again, the okay. competition in this industry. Um, going, backtracking from okay. Boeing, like you had brought up, there mm-hmm. were the Wright brothers. Right. Which I think kind of many people know about the Wright brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first flight in America, if not the world. First powered flight. First powered, powered flight. flight. There were gliders oh, and there were okay. balloons, but the first... Heavier than air, you know, balloons were filled with air. But the first heavier yeah. than air uh, v- vehicles that were powered flight was, was the Wright Brothers. And that was in North Carolina? Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, I start the book out with that. Uh, yeah. And uh, the, uh, uh, with a conversation. Uh, and uh, let, let me read that if that's okay. Absolutely. And then we can, we can talk about it. Uh, Chapter 1, the Wright brothers get it all started. They flipped a coin and Wilbur won. It was December 14, 1903, on the Sandy Hills at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Will, you get the first flight. The flyer's all set with a 12-horsepower engine that Charlie built. Pretty good accomplishment for our bicycle mechanic, don't you think? Right. It should give us enough power and the two pusher propellers to get it off the ground. Now you hold a wing and run alongside to steady the aircraft as it slides down the slope track. Once it lifts off, I'm on my own. The flyer cleared the wooden track and fell into the sand after 100 feet in the air with minor damage. I guess we can't call that a successful flight, or after we make some repairs, you get a crack at it. I hope you have better luck. They tried again on December 17th. It was Orville's turn. A photo taken of Orville flying and Wilbur running alongside after he had just let go of the wing became one of the most famous photographs in history. After his first flight, Orville said, I didn't do much better. Not on the third, but on the fourth try that day, Wilbur flew over 800 feet, almost the length of three football fields, and was in the air for nearly a minute. History was made. Man had flown under power for the first time ever. So that's the way it all started. (laughs) Now, so this was, you said Kitty Hawk? Yeah. Mm -hmm. North Carolina? Yeah, they they lived in Dayton, but they went out there because of the prevailing winds off the Atlantic. And also, uh, it was uh, Sand Hill, so if they crashed, it wasn't too bad. (laughs) I was wondering about that, what the relationship was with, they did the flight in North Carolina, mm-hmm. but they're so they're originally from Ohio, right? They had bicycle business uh, in uh, built bicycles in uh, Dayton, but they had gotten interested in flight when they were little kids. Their father brought them brought them a toy airplane powered by rubber bands from France, and they started dreaming about what if uh, uh, man could sometime build a plane that 
man could fly in, not powered by rubber bands, but mm -hmm. by an engine. And and they kept at it from when they were kids on on through. Wow. So. You know what the Wright brothers remind me of, just because they're mm -hmm. brothers, reminds me of last time when we talked about the Dodge brothers mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. And I think the Dodge brothers, too, had a bicycle, or they worked on bicycles. Uh, I believe so, like yeah. That. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, bicycle uh, uh, was quite an industry for a while in this country, you know. It was, was it, really? it was the first step from the horse, <laughs> you know, think about it. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, That's the cool. only way man could get anywhere was on a horse or a horse and buggy f for quite a while. And then, uh, and they started with the bicycle. And so you could, and then the bicycle people started, uh, uh, thinking about other things and, uh, aircrafts and cars and it just moved right along. I, and we kind of forget sometimes that the bicycle was, it was kind of a step in there between the yeah. horse and buggy and the car. No, I, I totally forget about that sometimes. Yeah. The picture that comes to my mind is the huge bicycle with the big wheel mm -hmm. in the front and then the small wheel yeah. in the back. <laughs> and somebody's riding it in a, in like a top hat right, and a right. monocle. Yeah, those, they had those for a while. <laughs> Talking about uh, um, the Wright Brothers bicycle, of course, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, um, Greenfield Village has the original bicycle shop from the Wright brothers, moved here from Dayton you wow. know, by Henry Ford. Now, when you go to Dayton, there are also two original bicycle shops in Dayton, and they're all original because they moved. They grew as they got bigger. Mm -hmm. So some people you know, wonder if some of them are uh, all authentic, but they are. And, and our one here in the Detroit area in Greenfield Village is authentic. Oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah. Very, very cool. Now, the Wright brothers... Stemming off of mm -hmm. that that flight in North Carolina, they start to set up their own like business mm -hmm. around aircraft. And is it again kind of military driven? Right, right. Yeah. Their first contract to build multiple aircraft was was really well. They got a contract to build one prototype, uh, but again, the the flyer, as they called their plane, you you laid the pilot was laying prone facing oh. forward, and uh, had these two pusher propellers behind. And the Army said, if you'll build a prototype that can hold two people in a seated position, you know, we'll give you $25,000 for this, for this design. And they did. They had, by then they had one called the Flyer 3, which was, uh, had gone from a 12-horsepower engine to a 25-horsepower engine. And they, they were able to have two people sitting so that one could be an observer for the Army Mm -hmm. and observe the enemy lines and so forth. So, so uh, that's, yeah, that's the way they, uh, they got a contract for that. And then later they got another contract to build several for the Army mm -hmm. uh, if it could meet certain standards, which was a 10-mile round trip at 40 miles an hour over 100 feet in the air. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so that, that really helped them. But, yeah, mm -hmm. that's where the money came from. And uh, yeah. some of these are the same way with Bill Boeing, building uh, mm -hmm. planes for the Navy and... Uh, now, what ended up happening to the Wright brothers? Like one of the brothers ended up mm -hmm. passing away before right, the right, other one. Right, right, right. Yeah, one one passed away in uh, uh, nineteen uh, eight at uh, from typhoid fever. Oh wow! And they uh, uh, that was Wilbur Orville and his sister. Then uh, kept the company for about a year. They sold it. Uh, 
a fellow named Glenn Martin bought it. Um, he kept it for a while, then he left the company, so they renamed it uh, the uh, um, Wright Aviation Company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it evolved into uh, something on later on got bought by the Curtis Wright Company, and it became a multi-million dollar conglomerate. It still exists wow. today. So, uh, and then interesting thing about this fellow, Glenn Martin, that owned it for a while, mm-hmm. he started his own company, and he's the one that uh, sold a plane to Bill Boeing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So there were a lot of, you know, interesting interactions between these earlier early pioneers, just like in the auto industry. And is Glenn Martin to, is this the gentleman that goes on to be Lockheed Martin? Yeah, like Martin Marietta, Lo- Lockheed Martin, correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, is yeah. It... It, be, it was the largest um, uh, largest military plane uh, manufactured during the Second World War. Yeah. Really? Okay. Made the wow. uh, the fighter planes, the P-40s that the Flying Tigers flew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard of that name yeah. before, yeah. Speaking of to the um, creating planes for mm-hmm. these war efforts— it was the same thing, too, going back to our conversation on your first, first book, uh, Motor City Drama, um, with Henry Ford, or not Henry Ford, mm-hmm. um, was it his son that they started to build planes in Willow Run? Right, right. Well, both Henry and, and Edsel. But oh, Edsel okay. was more uh, a key person in that, yeah. That, that I had no idea, and Willow Run mm-hmm. is... Uh, that's outside of Detroit, right? That's in Ipsy. Ipsy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right off of 94. Yeah. Okay. In fact, they have a Yankee Air Museum there. Oh, really? And okay. uh, uh, on uh, on March 1st, uh, I, again, I, I do presentations uh, before I started the books and, and still do. And uh, we have one on uh, uh, the Wright brothers, uh, or actually... Orville Wright and a sister Catherine, because we do it in 1925, and Wilbur had passed away by then. So we have an interaction, pres- interactive presentations where we answer questions from the audience. Uh, a little hint: we pass them out so that we don't get off the wall. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be there at uh, Yankee Air Museum on uh, doing that on March 1st, which is a lot of fun. We've been doing those for a while. So oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a neat museum. I've actually I've never been there. Oh, you Actually. should. Yeah, you should get there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's neat. Wow. You can go to their website, and they have different events too. They have open cockpit days when you can get a look in the cockpits, and they have uh, uh, fundraisers, and they have uh, outdoor aircraft that you know, uh, as well as mm-hmm. uh, some stored inside. So very cool. Have you ever ridden in one of those smaller, like a Cessna or something like that, like a small plane? Uh, years ago, I was on a business trip in California, and I was supposed to fly out of uh, um, one of the airports out there. And this fellow said, oh, gosh, you know, that's quite a drive over there. Why don't you take an air taxi in, into into Kennedy Field? You know, and I said, fine. So, yeah, I flew. I flew right in the second seat <laughs> up front you know, next to the pilot. And... Uh, yeah, it was interesting because it was beautiful. We flew by the uh, uh, Statue of Liberty and and 
that must have been LaGuardia we were going into in, mm-hmm. in New York. Flew by the Statue of Liberty, and, and all of a sudden the pilot said, oh, darn. I said, what's that? I said, well, there was a accident on one of the runways, and they closed the runway, so we circled <laughs> for quite a while, and when we landed, I missed my connecting flight <laughs> back to Detroit. So it took me longer than if I would have done my original schedule. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and I've I've flown in a couple of other uh, small planes. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of Willow Run, they just uh, they just uh, acquired uh, the tr- Ford trimotor that uh, Henry Ford and Ansel built, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a it was a commercial airliner for a while. And uh, they they just got their first one that's operational, so you can actually uh, buy rides in this uh, uh, trimotor. And I'm I'm kind of debating. <laughs> I'd I'd really like to do it, but it you know it was built in the twenties. <laughs> but they they oh, yeah. they've refurbished it and, and they checked it out and they've been doing a lot of training. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I'll probably do it. <laughs> and this is still this is like a propeller. Yeah, three three propellers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Now, moving moving ahead in in this history, right. Who was this Mr. Douglas fellow? Donald Douglas. Donald uh, Douglas. Yeah, he had he had worked for um, another company in 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 uh, Cincinnati uh, at the Glen Martin Company in Cleveland. I'm sorry, in Cleveland. Oh, okay. Yeah, Glen Martin had had his uh, company in Cleveland, and um, uh, then he left there and moved out to the West Coast and and, and set up his Douglas Company. And uh, so he became another major, uh, major contributor there. Um, one of the uh, fascinating stories that that I thought was, uh, that, uh, well, let, let me let me read it rather than give it away. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you'll you'll see why it's it's interesting. And again, these these are all based on history. These things happened. It's just that we don't have a record of the conversations, and I make the conversations up as authentically as I can based on knowing about these people. And, and mm-hmm. so I don't distort history. I, I, I feel I'm adding to it. So this is in 1943, Douglas Company. Douglas Company Vice President of Engineering, Rob Krenko, stood near a drafting board as he met with design engineer John Hall as, at his office at the Douglas El Segundo plant. John, take a look at my sketch here. Oh, it looks like a C-54 military transport. Right, we're going to design the first presidential aircraft by modifying a C-54. Why would the Douglas president need a plane that large, Rob? Not the Douglas president, the president of the United States. You mean Franklin Roosevelt? Yes, we're designing a plane for FDR. That's pretty exciting, damn exciting. Let me show you some of the requirements. I've sketched some rough ideas. Pointing to the sketch, Rob continued. Now, here's the president's office, and over there would be the kitchen and dining area. Back here would be the sleeping quarters. Behind there would be seats for staff and the press. Just one issue I haven't worked out yet. What's that? Well, John, we need an elevator. An elevator? What for? To get FDR in his wheelchair up into the cabin. Wow, isn't there any way to get him up the external stairway? He'd have to be carried. And we were told that we couldn't let that be seen. With an elevator, he could be wheeled under the plane and taken up by elevator out of sight. Then an elevator it is. This will be a fun project for my team. 
Then get started, John. Take my sketches and come out with engineering drawings of the whole interior. Great. We'll get right on it. One question. Do you think I could FDR to autograph one of my drawings? If so, only after he autographs my sketch, said Rob with a smile. The presidential jet went into service in 1944 and was nicknamed the Sacred Cow because of the security surrounding it. FDR only flew in it once, but it was used for a period by President Harry Truman. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, people forget FDR really couldn't walk. He had, he had braces, metal braces. And he always, when he did walk, he always had the arm usually of his son or somebody and walked short distances. And he really was just kind of throwing his, his body and his legs. Uh, and uh, so most of the time he was in a wheelchair, but at that time they felt um, it showed a lack of power if your president was in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, the press would never photograph him in a wheelchair or being carried. There was just agreements about that. Mm -hmm. So it was quite a sensitive issue. So they went to all this trouble to put an elevator in. Wow. Yeah. And, and they, he only flew in it one time? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Now, but, oh, but you said... Well, no. and he, he died. Oh. <laughs> he died in office. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although it was his, his fourth term. And so, but he, yeah. Okay. Yeah, when... When was 1946? He died in 45. Oh, 45. In the spring okay. of 45, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then and then Truman, Truman was took sworn, over. Yeah. Um, who was his vice president. But then Truman got some use out of the sacred cow. Yeah, at yeah. least. <laughs> right. And and then Truman had his own plane. Um, um, Did he really? It was a, a, a DC-6. Uh, he named it the Independence in recognition of his hometown in Missouri. Okay. Um, I don't know. Have you ever been to the uh, uh, Air Force Museum in Dayton? No. That is fascinating uh, place to go. It's free. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, when we went, we we went one afternoon. Took our grandson and, and stayed overnight, and then the next morning kind of broke it up. But you, you really need a full day. And what it has. Uh, it has one hangar now that has four presidential planes in them, wow. uh, including the two that I mentioned and then two of the later ones. So, And you can go in them. You can go in them all. Yeah, it's neat. It's, it's, it's a great museum. So Sacred Cow, Independence, mm -hmm. and then there was another one after that. And then there were two, two. Then uh, I think the next one that was a DC six was the Independence. That was still propeller. And then there were two jets. One, I think the first one was Kennedy's, mm -hmm. and then there was a a, a, a later jet uh, that's in the museum. And then of course the current one is a seven forty seven mm. that uh, uh, the current presidents use. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the one that you had mentioned, uh, there was one that the Lyndon Johnson mm -hmm. was sworn in on because Kennedy was mm -hmm. shot that day. Right, right. That and you said that that plane is at Dayton, the one that Lyndon was sworn in on. I believe so. Um, wow, that's a special plane. I wow. believe so. Yeah, you're. Um, you're stretching my memory here now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 pretty sure it is. Yeah, yeah, because it was it was an older, 
It was one of the first jets. Wow. Um, and really I, cool. I know I have, uh, I know I have uh, um, something in here about it. Uh, no, that's that's really cool. I didn't, I didn't realize that th- we had this many Air Force Ones. Right, but, but right. they weren't, they weren't really called Air Force One until kind of relatively later. Right, right. Um, and and what happened there is they they were given a they were Air Force planes. They were given a numerical designation, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I think I've got the details somewhere in my book. But just from memory, it. Um, uh, there was a there was a commercial airplane that had the same designation as Air Force One, and they almost collided. And so at that time, they started. Uh, they decided that they they would not have an Air Force numerical designation anymore. But that and the way that works is there are there are were two uh, uh, presidential aircrafts, but the one that the president's in is always designated as Air Force One. So the minute he steps on it, it becomes becomes uh, Air Force One. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah. But that uh, was an interesting start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, coming into like more, I guess, recent mm-hmm. times, I guess it kind of depends <laughs> how old you are. To, right. Because like the, there's still some of this that is within kind of my age range um but there's this is it is it right to call it the jet era yeah um Mm -hmm. now what what distinguishes like a jet versus like planes before that is it the propeller right right yeah the the propeller um um pulls you through the air basically you know it's it's slanted and it it pulls you through the air okay the jet uh, pushes you through the air, you know. It it, it uh, blows the okay the uh, air forcefully out the back and and pushes it. So it's a it's a different uh, okay concept, yeah. Because that and that's where you see the engines on the wings. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And they call them fan jets, but the fans are really uh, they're not propellers. They're just part of the pulling the air in and mm. helping it to exit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Was was Boeing the first one to have a jet? They had the first uh, um, uh, commercially successful one, the seven hundred seven. Okay, yeah. it, and that was that was before your time working. No, there? no, we were building those. Oh, really? <laughs> when I was at Boeing, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. uh, in fact, I have a I have a timeline in my book, mm-hmm. uh, fortunately, and. Um, um, let me let me see here. Nineteen fifty eight, the seven hundred seven came out. Oh wow! Yeah. So uh, that was the first really successful large scale commercial airline. In uh, jet jet airliner. And was that like when that came out? Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Was it like a really big deal? When that came out, like it uh, made headlines. It oh yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, up until then the uh, um, you know the um, DC 
sixes were pretty much uh, the commercial airplane mm-hmm. that the people rode in a lot. Um, the the largest one. The, I can't. Am- the DC-3 is an interesting one, Douglas, uh, historically. It, that's the one that's hanging in the museum, mm-hmm. at the Henry Ford Museum. Some people wonder why, of all the airplanes that's there. Uh, that was the first airplane that uh, airlines could make money on with passengers only. And that was in the 30s. Oh, wow. I mean, it went, it went from, you know, <laughs> 1903 the Wright brothers, to the 30s before uh, passenger aircraft was profitable. All the time in between, it was either, like you said, building aircraft for military or uh, airmail. <laughs> so, and, and the DC-3 was the first one that uh, uh, was able to uh, be commercially uh, successful. Awesome. So. When you say mail, is this, pr- this is pretty hmm. much... U.S. Postal Service, because yeah. UPS, FedEx, they weren't around. No, no. But I got to imagine, like, today, mm-hmm. they must also place oh. orders. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, they have their own their own aircraft, yeah. Yeah. A- Amazon, I'm sure, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure about them, but I, okay. I'm, I'm sure they yeah. have their own aircraft. But I know uh, UPS and FedEx have their... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, in fact... Uh, FedEx, I think in Tennessee or Kentucky, has a big air base mm. where they kind of operate out of. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you've got to get people's packages around right, the country right, somehow. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. not going to uh, get less because, you know, more and more people are ordering things online now. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. That's all I did for Christmas. I right. did everything online. Yeah. I've done that the last two years, and I never would have thought that. I would have done that. But lo and behold, that's kind of the age age that we're in. I, it's funny because I did end up going to the mall one of the days for Christmas, and there was a lot of people there, but it wasn't packed like mm-hmm. the malls that I used to go to when I was younger. So I did kind of notice that, that, um, you know, there's the mall's not as filled up. Maybe there's uh, some of the spaces in the mall are empty or for lease. So yeah, just things are changing. Oh yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't been in a mall for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I. It, it's kind of tough to, tough to go when everything's just at kind of at your fingertips or on a computer. Yeah, no, that's that's just the age that we're in. But I don't foresee airlines, airplanes, you know, people still need to get places. Right, right. Um, same thing with cars. Now, moving forward from the birth of that mm-hmm. jet era, there was, yeah. for a little bit here, uh, the supersonic jets. Right, right. And th- would you say, was this kind of like... A, a failed experiment like we didn't really get supersonic right, jets right, right. like um maybe people were hoping for right and, and these were jets that would just go uh, they could get you to point a to point yeah, b way faster, faster than the speed of sound that's why they're oh, called wow. supersonic yeah and <clears throat> and that was a problem that when they took off 
there was a sonic boom and it would rattle buildings <laughs> and houses, you know, yeah. And so the public uh, didn't, didn't like that. And uh, uh, so uh, the U.S. government had invested in the SST. Uh, and again, uh, that's, when, that's when I was at Boeing. In fact, one of my friends, uh, I, I was a t part of HR, and he came into me one day and he said, wow, I got a wonderful new job. What's that? I'm, I'm training director for the SST project. Wow, you know, that's, that's going to be the thing, the SST, and, and this guy's career is going everywhere. Uh, so, uh, but what happened is uh, they, uh, uh, the, the, the sonic boom thing, you know, became a, a, a big thing. And so, uh, and then also the government felt that they would not get their money back. Uh, in, in time. Originally, they invested in it with the idea of getting their money back. And so they, uh, because of public outcry with the sonic boom and because of the Congress said, uh, you know, we're just not going to get our money back, they, they, they cut the project off. And, and the irony is I had left Boeing then and went to work for HR a director and in, in a, uh, uh, a training director in an insurance company in, in Seattle. And uh, this fellow that went to work for the SST came to work for me. I mean, he was out of a job. <laughs> so here, here I thought his career was going to soar, and yeah. he ended up, you know, working for me. Uh, but the the British did go, go on. The uh, they had the um, um, Concorde jet it was a combination uh, built by Britain and France. Oh, and okay. it it did run for a while, mm -hmm. and uh, then uh, again it uh, it was the tickets were very expensive. They were about double because uh, I knew somebody once that said they were going to a meeting in Europe and you know they were going on the SST and it was about double the first class fare because it got you there in half the time wow. practically. You know, so uh, it, but again with the sonic boom. Uh, problems and again the size, you know, the the fact that the tickets were so expensive and they they, they couldn't figure out a, a easy way, I guess, to make it profitable. So the Concord died out too, but it did run for a while. Wow. And there are people around that uh, have ridden in the Concord as a, a supersonic jet. And when did that start to get phased out? Um, Was it like uh, relatively? Well, I was focusing on, on U.S. airlines, so uh, I, I guess I don't have it in my timeline. Oh, um, that's okay. But um, it, was, uh, it was running in the 70s and 80s, I know. Okay. I, I know people were traveling then in, the, in it in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I can't remember exactly how long ago it went out. One thing that comes to mind when, mm -hmm. like travel, because I can't, I, I couldn't imagine your travel experience back then mm -hmm. versus what it is today. It, is it very different in a commercial aircraft? Like, because one example, mm -hmm. you used to be able to smoke on airplanes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and you can't anymore. Right. But right. Yeah. How how different was it like yeah. back then versus now? Well, there was that. They they they, you know they they 
kept the air filtering and everything pretty well. But yeah, you, you might get sitting next to somebody <laughs> that smoked. Um, the other thing was you actually got a meal. I mean, even in, in coach, you know, you got a little a little meal with a, a chicken breast or something and gravy and mashed potatoes and really? uh, yeah, and uh, a little dessert. And, yeah, and 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 coach, and now you get peanuts. Uh, maybe some airlines. <laughs> maybe, yeah. I think you have to buy the peanuts. Uh, yeah. So and and uh, and it was interesting. Originally, you know, people dressed up to fly. You know, they generally. Uh, Businessmen would wear their suits and ties, and yeah. and uh, and and even families that would go, they they would you know at least wear a shirt and slacks, and the women would dress up a little. And of course, now you get on, and people have got their sweatsuits and whatever. That's and, kind of what you know, I do. It's, yeah, yeah. It's you know the world is changing. Yeah. Wow. The one I remember, the first commercial airplane that I flew in was the DC-3. That was the first one that was commercially successful. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that I remember about it, <clears throat> and, and you can see this if you go to the Henry Ford Museum and you look up at the DC-3 there, uh, you can kind of tell. But the, uh, the tail uh, wheel was very small. And the uh, two front wheels were under the wings. So it sat at an angle. It literally was at an angle, and and you entered at the rear, so you you entered the door, and then you walked up. <laughs> you know? Okay. You walked uphill to your seat. <laughs> oh, okay. And then yeah. when they and then they got into the DC fours, they they realized that it was better, you know, and they and they made the rear wheels uh, so that it was level, but. Uh, but that was the first airliner that I remember traveling in, and uh, and I remembered walking uphill. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't imagine. You're getting yeah. a workout yeah. every time yeah. you have right. <laughs> to walk. Wow. But they they weren't that huge either, you know. But, mm-hmm. but they were they were. I forget how many passengers they carried, but they carried a good number. I I was just just about mm-hmm. to ask you that because airplanes today, I mean, I don't know how much like a typical typical flight how many passengers mm-hmm. i guess it kind of depends yeah um 300 or so three, okay two, two to 300 but uh interesting story about the 747 and i, I tell mm-hmm. a story in my uh uh in my book um uh, a friend of mine was in market research and uh there was a lot of uh, things being written in the paper about this huge 747, you know, it's going to carry 400 people. And uh, people wouldn't travel in it. It was like a cattle car, you know, and, and blah, blah. And Boeing started to get concerned about it, so they did this little research study. And I won't go into that uh, in detail. but uh, And they found out that it, it was okay. You know, people would accept that kind of a, of a cabin. Uh, and um, uh, so they, they were really concerned, you know, that, uh, people would fly in it and so uh, it turned out that it worked out fine you know was, if you price it right people are gonna fly in it and but, this is like 747s seven, are still here no they they just discontinued i think last year or so they oh, they, okay. they discontinued uh making them uh okay. there's there's still some flying mostly i think cargo and there might be some uh, airlines overseas that use them but mm-hmm. uh, yeah they're the, the newer jets are so much more economical. You know, the engines are more economical. And, and also, 
they're finding by scheduling routes better. They don't need that many people at one time. It's uh, they were okay. flying started flying, you know, not not full enough. Okay. And and so by by making new routes and everything, uh, mm -hmm. and of I course see. the. <laughs> The, the new routes are, uh, you tend to travel on more planes and you connect and you want to connect quickly. And as we saw just recently, that stuff's all like clockwork. And if uh, you have a weather problem or a computer problem, <laughs> yeah, uh, it just, because uh, planes aren't on the ground very long, you know, and so your, your plane is, your, your, your flight is dependent on where did your plane come from? Right. If your plane was in Denver in a snowstorm, <laughs> didn't matter if you're in Florida and that plane coming in was supposed to take you out of Florida and it's not there, you don't go. So so all of this uh, just-in-time uh, tight scheduling uh, pr produces profits and, and, and uh, you can use smaller planes, but <laughs> when things go wrong, they really, uh, they really go wrong. It, there's... Uh, two things that uh, just popped in my mm -hmm. head. Um, one of them, have, have you ever flown in a private plane? Uh, yeah, I, I did. Uh, I, um, I was a consultant and I did some work for a company and Federal Mogul. And uh, they said, uh, uh, we want you to go down and do a, um, we did these career interviews where we did some testing and interviewing people for help them plan the rest of their career and so forth. And they said, we want you to go down and, and do one of these down in uh, um, um, Alabama. And so they said, you can fly on the company plane. So I flew on a Lear business jet, yeah. What was that yeah. experience Yeah, like? that was neat, yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> you go out to the airport, uh, Metro, and there's a separate hangar, and you kind of sit around and have some coffee, and the pilot arrives, and he said, everybody here? Yep, okay, <laughs> you get in and you go. And uh, while you're at your meetings, the pilot plays golf, <laughs> I think. And then, uh, you know, when you're ready to go, you come back. Yeah, it's very nice. Very nice. I wish I, I hope, hopefully one day I get that experience. It, it, actually, I don't know if you've heard of, I forget the company's name. They are a company that, that sets up memberships for, private jet flights. Mm -hmm. So you can purchase a membership, like tiered memberships mm -hmm. to get a certain amount of private jet flights in a year right? Uh, based on, you know, availability. Plus they do book it with like other mm -hmm. small set of passengers as well. And I remember the fee for like just the basic mm -hmm. tier was nothing like insurmount. I mean, it was mm -hmm. still expensive, but well, and again, primarily a lot of businesses do that. You know, they used to have their their own corporate jets, mm -hmm. uh, uh, like Federal Mogul, and and I don't know now, but some of them don't do that anymore. They they do the sharing, okay, the sharing thing. Um, it's kind of like an Uber, yeah, but yeah, for flights. Um, and that was you said, a Lear. A Lear, yeah, yeah. And the companies that like we've mentioned throughout mm -hmm. so far, do they get into the private jet market as well, like Boeing or? Uh, um, no, they didn't. They they were all different. Uh, yeah, different companies. Yeah, they. Um, 
I, th- I think the, the big companies that make the big airliners were so set up, their factories are big, their processes are big, and I, I just think, and business has been growing, you know, yeah. and they, they need new models. Uh, so um, um, I've got a f- fun little story here uh, on business aircraft. Oh, please, yeah. Um, and again, this is fiction, okay? <laughs> it, the, the, the aircrafts are, are authentic, and, and these people do own these airplanes. But obviously, obviously, I, I made up the, uh, the story. And it goes like this. <clears throat> um, Tom Cruise, Jim Carrey, and Oprah Winfrey were chatting at a recent after party for the Academy Awards. Jim opened the conversation. So, Tom, I understand you have a Gulfstream so do I. What model is yours? Gulfstream G4. How about yours? A Gulfstream G5. Looks like mine is bigger, Tom. Not bragging, you understand, said Jim with a grim. Oprah, I hear you have a Gulfstream too. What model does the little lady have? The little lady just has a little Gulfstream 650. Wow, yours is even bigger than mine. You know, I was underestimated for years, and so it's fun now to be the big dog. With a smile, she started to walk away, then turned and added, I'll leave you boys to talk about your little toys. (laughs) (laughs) And so those people do own those particular aircraft. Yeah. And I've got a picture. I've got some pictures in this book. I didn't in the the other one. But Mm -hmm. uh, I have a picture of the interior of the Gulfstream uh, 650, and uh, they're beautiful. Gosh, I can't imagine... How expensive those are they got to be pretty expensive yeah i have right? i have no idea price wise uh, plus fuel right plus right. paying the pilot yeah insurance and, insurance and hangar space hangar, and, yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah you got a big investment there it's kind of like the same thing with i imagine on a smaller mm-hmm. scale of like owning a boat because right. you need a place to put the boat right um the insurance mm-hmm. on that uh yeah, those maintenance. are maintenance. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's got to yeah. be. Well, those those folks have enough money that it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise, Oprah yeah. Winfrey, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the other thing before I forget, Russell, um, you had mentioned market research. Mm-hmm. And like uh, you had said, your mm-hmm. your friend was doing mm-hmm. market research. Yeah. Um, you've, you've yourself have participated in uh market research for Boeing and stuff yeah the um uh th- that one study uh the uh the jumbo jets uh what, what I mentioned about their their uh, Boeing's concern about the um the 747 you know uh-huh and uh and are, you're basically just kind of going out there and asking people, like, hey, what do you think? Would you ride in something like this? Right, et right. Uh, I was trying to see if... Oh, here it is. Yeah, here's here's the story that I have about this. And this was... <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> I actually attended this. And as I mentioned, they were... Boeing was concerned about the... Um, publicity that uh, um, <clears throat> articles in the press, people wouldn't ride in this huge cattle car with 400 other passengers. And mm-hmm. so 
Boeing market research people conducted some studies to evaluate these concerns. People were invited to an event in a mock-up of a 747 cabin. Everett Johnson from market research greeted the guests. Good morning. Welcome to our new 747. Have a soft drink and coffee and relax. As you can see, this wide-body passenger cabin has 10 seats to a row and two aisles. We'd like you to fill out the questionnaire we provided asking for your reaction to this cabin. You notice that it asks if you would fly in this cabin for standard ticket prices or only if the prices were reduced. It also asks if you like it so much you would actually pay a higher ticket price to travel in it. After the questionnaires were completed, Everett opened up for discussion. One young man spoke up. I don't know about everyone else, but I really like the larger size of the cabin. I feel I'm sitting in a small movie theater rather than a cramped airplane cabin. A middle-aged woman added, I agree, I have no problem traveling in this plane. I hope it comes out soon. A young man with glasses spoke up. My only concern is boarding and deplaning. How can all these people get on and off in a reasonable time? Everett explained, this is an important issue. We'll be boarding through both a front and a rear entrance, which would speed things up. Also, boarding gradually by rows will help move it more smoothly. But to be honest, it probably will take a few more minutes longer to board. When the surveys from these events were tallied, the results were very encouraging to Boeing. They showed that most people would fly the 747 at normal ticket prices, but a very few would only fly it for reduced rates. Some people at the event even indicated they would pay slightly more to fly in this larger cabin. This study helped Boeing proceed with the development of the 747 with confidence that the public would accept it. Yeah, so... Uh, I was my friend Everett Johnson. That was the director of that project, and he invited me to come and sit. And it was it was me speaking up. I felt like it was a sitting in a little movie theater, you know. Yeah. So, and so th for the cabin that mm -hmm. you had mentioned, do they they have like a replica cabin of like what it would look? Yeah, like? Yeah, yeah. It was a, a, a full sized, uh, you know, just one segment of of the of the cabin. It didn't have the first class section or the you know, mm -hmm. cockpit or anything, but yeah, it was built uh, just uh, just exactly like a, a uh, 747 cabin. It was that important to them, you know, to get some reaction. And how many, are you having a lot, like many, many, many people participate in this? Like thousands upon thousands of oh, people? I, I don't remember how many. No, they didn't have, they didn't have the time to do that. I, mm -hmm. I would say they must have had, you know, they did them in groups. Mm -hmm. I'm sure several hundred yeah, yeah, and and they I, I don't know what kind of demographics they used. I didn't ask him about that, but because uh. this reminds me of, do you remember uh, Coca Cola and uh, the new Coke that they had? I yeah, um, and I, it's funny because I was just I finished a book called Influence by Robert Cialdini. If you've ever heard of that book, no, um, and he he talks about. There's seven levers of influence, and one of them, there's uh, reciprocity, uh, authority, social proof, commitment and consistency, um, unity, and uh, scarcity. I think hmm. I got all. I think that's seven. Might be missing one. But he talks about the New Coke um, fiasco <laughs> as far as the scarcity lever of influence because in market research, he was saying Coca-Cola did a lot of market research for the new Coke and they saw that people preferred it mm -hmm. 
over their original mm-hmm. formula. But then when they released it, they pulled original Coke. So they mm-hmm. only offered mm-hmm. new Coke. And he said, well, now original Coca-Cola is now the scarce yeah. resource. <laughs> yeah. And there was this huge backlash because <laughs> you're taking away a person's mm-hmm. option at the original Coca-Cola. Right. Yeah, I remember that. That was funny. Because in, in the market research, yeah. there you had both. Yeah, yeah. But then when it actually like went live, you know, yeah. out in production, it's like you only had new Coke as a choice. So yeah, I well, I, I just remember market him talking. research can take you down. A... So a couple of things we haven't talked about, I guess, are some uh, are some local airplane manufacturers. Um, oh right, yeah. And uh, uh, Eddie Eddie Stinson. Eddie Stinson is one uh, right here in Northville. Um, and, uh, Eddie, uh, was, was taught by the Wright brothers to fly. And then he became an army flight instructor. And then he started his own, uh, his own, uh, airline. And, uh, his sister is one that, uh, kind of got him interested. She, she flew before he did. And again, at the Henry Ford Museum, and you look up, there's a, in the little aviation room, there's a airplane, uh, up there with a woman pilot, and that's Eddie's sister. Huh. Uh, and she was called a flying schoolgirl because she was so young. She got her pilot's license at age 21, the fourth woman in the U.S. to do it. Anyway, she inspired Eddie, and so he uh, had been a flight instructor during World War II or World War One, and then he'd been a test pilot for a fellow named Bill Stout, who we can talk about, who... Uh, had an uh, aircraft company that the Fords bought. Okay. But anyway, Eddie um, um, I've got a little a, a little uh, thing in here where Eddie started his uh, aircraft company and um, here in Northville and then um, E.L. Cord, the developer of the Cord automobile, visited Eddie in 1929. And by then he had moved out of Northville to a bigger plant down near Metro Airport, which is now Metro Airport. And I've got this little conversation. He says, this is E.L. Cord. Uh, nice to meet you, Eddie. Uh, I bought one of your planes after a trip to Florida. I took flying lessons there and then flew it back to Auburn, Indiana. Great aircraft. Thank you. What brings you to Detroit? I want to get into the aircraft business. Well, you already have the auto- Auburn Automobile Company, Checker Cab, several other companies. Why aircraft? It's a wave of the future for long-range transportation, Eddie. I'm also starting an airline, Century Airlines. So how can I help you? How about selling you some Stinson airplanes for your airline? You can help me even more. My, my, my airline needs larger planes than you make now, so I'd like to buy into your company so you'd have the capital to develop a larger aircraft, such as a trimotor model. Well, that's quite a surprise. Sounds intriguing, though. I've been thinking about building a larger model, and the capital would make that possible. How much investment are you thinking about? About 60% would be right for me. Oh, that would give you controlling interest. I don't know if I want to give up control of the company I started. I understand, Eddie, but this would offer you a new model and a guaranteed big customer, because my airline would buy Stinson's. When you put it that way, it makes sense. My name stays on the company, right? 
Of course, Stinson has a good reputation. There's no need to make a change. Let me sit down with my attorney and look this over, E.L. I hope we can do it. I'm excited to get into this field big time. Well, a deal was made. Cord became a major stockholder in Stinson. And in 1930, Cord Century Airlines bought 100 aircraft from Stinson Aircraft. In 1932, Century was purchased by the Aviation Corporation and eventually became American Airlines. So little Stinson Aircraft Company uh, had something to do with the formation of, of uh, American Airlines. And then Stinson Aircraft was sold to Piper Aircraft in 1950. They modified one original Stinson design into the successful Piper Apache, the world's first all-metal twin-engine aircraft for personal use. Um, Eddie Stinson was killed in an air crash while on a sales trip in 1932 at age 38. He had logged more flight hours than any other pilot at the time and had contributed to the development of Piper Aircraft and American Airlines. So we got kind of a local aviation hero here that uh, not a lot of people know about. Uh, but his, uh, again, uh, his plane called the Detroiter is at the Henry Ford Museum. I, so. where, I, I can't imagine... Where in this city did he have this company? I mean, I know Northville was way different. It's where the car wash is. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, they wow. used to build the uh, fuselage on one floor and the wings on the other. Um, and uh, there was no airfield here, so they would truck them out. And they had an airfield out on Beck Road. <laughs> and they'd assemble them there and fly out. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. I, and I didn't, I didn't know that about our history, like yeah. here, Metro Detroit. Yeah. That you know, like you had mentioned, we had talked about Bill Boeing earlier, right. and then um, obviously the the Fords producing aircraft. Eddie, Eddie Stinson, I had no idea about until reading your book. Well, Which, talking about Henry, uh, the um, uh, I had mentioned that Eddie Stinson was a, a test pilot for. Bill Stout, and uh, let, me, let me read you this little bit on uh, Ford. Oh, yeah. uh, Henry Ford and his son Edsel were having lunch at the Ford headquarters in Dearborn one day in 1924. Edsel, opening the conversation, said, Father, I've been thinking about the Stout Metal Aircraft Company that we own stock in. I think we should buy out Bill Stout and build airplanes. We have a lot on our hands and with building enough Model Ts to keep up with orders. Hear me out. Aviation is going to become the major means for travel. For long distances, it sure beats the automobile and is faster than the train. I think we should get in on the ground floor. Can't disagree with your point, Edsel, but I'm not sure we should take something else like on like this. Why not? You took on building automobiles before they were accepted. Worked out pretty well, didn't it? No doubt about that. There's plenty of opportunity here, that's for sure, but I'm concerned about the safety of airplanes. If a car engine quits, you just pull over till you can fix it. Can't do that with an airplane. I agree, Father. I've been looking into adding two more engines to Stout's design. That would provide a big margin of safety. And as all-metal construction is already a major safety advantage, it has it all over the wood and cloth construction of most airplanes. Edsel, if you think you can devote the time to this project, go ahead and follow up on it. I guess I wouldn't mind seeing the Ford name on flying machines. And it would be fun to be a real pioneer again in the transportation industry. Well, Edsel followed up. They bought out Stout, launched the Ford tri-motor plane, 
powered by three engines, um, set up for transportation service, a cargo service, passenger service, and, and uh, so forth. Uh, but they, um, during the Depression, uh, they had to retreat back and, and felt they could only you know, have the automobile business survive, and they, and they got out of the aircraft business. But uh, without the Depression, there probably would be a major uh, aircraft manufacturer. I, to see, yeah, Ford, the Ford logo <laughs> on airlines yeah. or on aircraft, yeah, <laughs> that would be something. Well, there are some neat pictures that you can see. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they had to, the Ford uh, airline. They used to have a pass, a cargo service and then passenger service in the Midwest, I think, Chicago, Cleveland, and Detroit. And, yeah. I didn't know that. Well, yeah, and the, the uh, airport was there right uh, near Greenfield Village which is now the Ford Test Track. Okay. And then the um, Dearborn Inn, which was right across the street from it, was the world's first uh, uh, airport hotel. So you could fly in, you know, and then stay at the Dearborn Inn. Okay. <laughs> kind of similar yeah. to how, like, at at Metro Airport, there's the Westin. Right. It's, like, connected yeah. right to yeah. it. Yeah. Where, like, if you stay at the Westin... You go through; it has its own um, TSA, mm -hmm. I think. Right. Where you just, you know, you come down from your room and you walk right through, and yeah. you're on your way to your terminal. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Um, Russell, I, I wanted to ask you too, as we kind of uh, wrapping things up. Um, what's next for you after this book? <laughs> I, I <laughs> Do don't know. Do you have know. another book I, in mind? I, not really. I. Um... You know, I like to write about things I know, and I had worked in the uh, automotive supplier industry uh, um, for the Fruhoff Corporation, which owned Kelsey Hayes, and we made a lot of parts. I did a lot of training, management training and things in the uh, auto supplier plants in the U.S. and Canada. So, I, you know, I had a comfort level there. And, of course, it's growing up in Detroit with the museum and Greenfield Village, you know, you, you just can't help but be, be interested in automotive history. So, mm -hmm. and then I had uh, I had worked at Boeing and, and had this experience and had put together a PowerPoint on that. So, um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, at this point uh, I, I might be uh, just continue with my presentations. Uh, we do uh, we do interactive presentations and. And again, uh, I don't think there are any books like we're, we're getting ready to do one on uh, Franklin Eleanor Roosevelt uh, and uh, where I portray Franklin Roosevelt and uh, my actress friend portrays Eleanor. And uh, that's the one that, uh, similar to the one that we're doing at the Yankee Air Museum, mm -hmm. uh, interactive. But I don't see any book opportunities there because there are just you know, again, books on those people. And mm -hmm. in some cases, there are books with quotes and conversations. So written more in the modern day. Mm. Uh, so I don't know. May, this may be the uh, it for the books right now. <laughs> yeah. And as far as your presentations yeah. go, uh, how many of those do you do in a year? Or is... uh, well, before the um, pandemic, I, I counted up, I did 20, 24 uh, wow. One year, two about month. two a month. Yeah, yeah, and then it dropped down to about 
first year of the COVID, I think it dropped down to about eight, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, wow. and, and some of them were Zoom, about most of them were Zoom. Mm-hmm. And now they're building back up. I'm kind of back up to about once a month now. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot good. of places, libraries and independent living facilities and um, um, community centers and so forth. Uh, historical societies, yeah, are getting back into having people there. I was just at the Livonia Library. We just did the uh, Orville and Catherine Wright one there at the Livonia Library last week. and nice. So it's, it's starting to pick up. A lot of fun. And do, is this mostly Michigan area? Do you ever go out of state? Yeah. Good I... afternoon, Northville District Library. If you're feeling stressed today, come upstairs and visit our therapy dogs. They will be here from 12 to 2 p.m. And there's also games, oh, that's bubble wrap, and a hot cocoa buffet. They are upstairs in the Carlo meeting room. I might check that out. <laughs> I, I imagine we'll we'll edit that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> edit that. Uh, uh, you've you've had to travel to other yeah, states. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not a lot, but I I did a, a people hear about me, you know, through various associations and things. So I was I was invited to do a presentation down in Florida for an automotive group. Oh, that's cool. And then uh, a company that uh, did marketing for some of the independent living facilities uh, here in this area, also did marketing for a company in California, and I went out and portrayed uh, Franklin Roosevelt out in California. And we have a client down in Indiana, uh, independent living facility, that we do almost all of our interaction, interactive ones for. They invite people in for lunch and the show, you know, and then tell them what a nice place it is to live. So it's a marketing event, yeah. So, uh a few out outside of uh, Michigan. Wow. Yeah. So you're you're staying pretty busy. Yeah, I'm staying pretty busy. Wow. Yeah. That that's really cool. And uh, I, I'm I'm very pleased. Uh, in uh, January 30th, I'll be uh, celebrating my 86th birthday. So I'm happy to be uh, active and having fun. Wow. Yeah. I would not have guessed that. <laughs> yeah. I I wow. do fool people. <laughs> wow. Russell, you are older than my grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, again, I'm fortunate. I'm, you know, my body is kept in relatively good shape, and I, uh, I'm doing things I enjoy, and, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, hope to continue. What is is that the secret? Like just staying active. I, and, I think yeah. 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 Doing doing things you enjoy and. Mm-hmm. and uh, uh, this wow. is this is kind of my third career. I did a lot of. I was an organizational psychologist for a while in industry with uh, Boeing and uh, insurance companies and uh, Fruhoff, and then I uh, kind of semi-retired and did personal. I'm a licensed psychologist. Uh, I did organizational psych, but then I went into individual. Did a lot of individual counseling and therapy in this area for a while. And then I retired from that, and before I retired from that, I started doing the presentations and then writing the books, so I've kind of, this is my third career, I guess. Wow. I think I'll uh, probably continue this one. I don't see another career. <laughs> I, don't, I don't sing very well. <laughs> you know, my, my dad retired, quote unquote, um, a year or two ago, but he went back into the business that he got out of. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it might be because he just wasn't too much to do right you know at, at home and stuff you know some people can play golf and and relax and that's wonderful mm-hmm. uh i i play really bad golf and i enjoy <laughs> it but you know I, I can't do it that much especially in michigan yeah and um yeah i think you know having something that you really enjoy to do is is very important mm-hmm. and uh yeah many people uh, that i know have retired and then become consultants and one one interesting guy I did some uh, coaching with, and he said, uh, yeah, I retired, and I, um, I, I'm getting more work than I want. You know, I, I just didn't want to be that busy. And I said, well, I'll tell you what you do. You slowly increase your fees. And at some point, <laughs> you'll you'll hit just the right spot. And if you go too far, you, you won't get as much work, and then you'll know. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So you can control it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My dad likes to tell me sometimes, like, you always have a choice in anything. And I remember I had a football coach, too, that, you know, he had a saying, the easiest thing you can do in life is just say, I quit. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, walk away from just, yeah. yep, I don't want to do it anymore. But, you know, he was kind of telling it to us while we're running up and down <laughs> the field. Like, you know, easiest thing to do is say, I quit and think about the the many, many students in the school who aren't playing football. Cause, right, right. But you guys are here, and you guys are here because, well, for various reasons, assuming you mm-hmm. love this sport. Right. And, I mean, same thing with why I'm doing what I'm doing mm-hmm. now. Um, I love it. I love having these conversations mm-hmm. with people, and I've learned a ton. I've learned a ton today just from your book. Good. Um, So I want to thank you very much for meeting up with me again. And I hope to have you back again in the future, (laughs) talk about a new project you're working on Um, or your background. I forgot. I think you told me that the first time too, that you were in psychology. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe we can do that in the future. Just talk about psychology Mm -hmm. and your career and that. I would be fascinated to know. Sure. Uh, more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, or we could talk about some of the um, pr- uh, presentations, the interactive ones and so forth. Oh, that'd be awesome yeah. too, yeah. yeah. Well, Russell, I could portray a few characters. <laughs> 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 we could have Mark Twain, we could have FDR, and uh, yeah. read read a few uh, quote, quotes from each of these. Yeah, <laughs> That would be fun. <clears throat> Russell, where's, uh, if people want to find mm-hmm. your, your work, mm-hmm. Is your website the best place? Yes, yes. Okay. Dore Productions, all one word, D-O-R-E Productions, dot Weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com. And I'll include a link to mm-hmm. that Great. Um, yeah. in yeah. the description. And uh, I've got a list of all the presentations there, the interactive ones and the PowerPoint ones, and got some uh, interviews there, some uh, video clips and I've got some uh, um, a schedule of all the public things coming up. So, oh, for cool. instance, if somebody wanted to know when the uh, Yankee Air Museum one is, uh, and then we've got some other ones scheduled in the, in the summer. Any that are open to the public, uh, I post there. And, uh, Very cool. Like to like to have people come out. That's what it's all about. Awesome. Well, I'll include links to that. Mm-hmm. I'll include a link to your book as well. Okay. And 
Yeah. No, thank you very much, Russell. Okay. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Good. And thank you, everybody, for listening out there. My name is Chris. This has been Cheetash. Take care, everybody.